0: Stephaniah deals with the justice of Judah under the phrase, the day of the Lord. This is a theme that he, um, uh, focuses on. It's common in Obadiah and Joel, Amos, Malachi, many others. It speaks of an entire period uh, with many different events. It begins with, um, the rapture when the Antichrist appears. That's the day of the Lord. And then it goes through the seven year tribulation, uh, the second coming, the battle of Armageddon, the setting up of the kingdom. It may even include the uh, white throne judgment, the day of the Lord. Um, Zephaniah has only three chapters, uh, 53 verses in this book, and yet it has a stern message of God's ultimate judgment uh, of um, of sin. He has been warning the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom did not listen. Now the southern kingdom is in the same kind of condition. Um, let's first look at the prophet Zechariah and Sa- I mean, Sephaniah, Um, again, he's um, part of the Twelve. And um, then the six uh, minor prophets prior to the captivity Obadiah, Joel, Jonah, Amos, and Hosea, and then Micah also. And then um, the three contemporary minor prophets prior to the captivity of the uh, southern kingdom, you have Nahum, Sephaniah uh, and Habakkuk Now we just finished Habakkuk And again the last three that I gave you Haggai, Zechariah and Malachi And there's 12 of the minor prophets You know all the major prophets we've gone through Isaiah, Jeremiah and, and uh, Daniel and them And Sephaniah uh, is the only minor prophet That is identified with the royal family uh, In fact uh, Habakkuk gave us no identity of himself Very little known Now you have just the opposite here um, his father is given to us, Cushai, his grandfather, in verse 1, Gadaliah, his great-grandfather, Amariah, and the great-great-grandfather, King Hezekiah, a king that uh, God blessed and um, God extended his life 15 years, and that's when Manasseh, his son, was born the most wicked king. And yet, um, as we said this morning, he even passed his children through the fire in the worship of Molech and just corrupted the whole uh nation of judah as well as uh, all the worship in jerusalem and yet when he was taken to captivity he repented to the lord and god forgave him and god restored him an amazing amazing story of grace if you're going to study the doctrine of grace you must start in the old testament you must go back to noah noah found grace in the eyes of the lord not the new testament and um, um he um He had first-hand knowledge, if you think of him as having this connection with um, um, his great-great-grandfather. And then also, he's going to tell us that he prophesied in the days of Josiah. But he uh, had um, the ability to know certain people, to have information, to know the ins, the outs, to know the true condition of the nation. Uh, but the nation, again, was so far gone that it was no surprise. But again, he is in a closer proximity to many of the key figures um, and God calls him to prophesy. His name means um, Yahweh hides or Yahweh um, has hidden and perhaps identifying his own protection by God. Certainly for those that would turn to him in Zephaniah chapter 2 verse 3. And uh, the name appears uh, nine other times in the Old Testament uh, for a priest, the son of Messiah in Jeremiah twenty-one, twenty-two, and twenty-nine, twenty-five. For a Kohathite, one of the orders of the Levites, the three families that you have, uh, son of Tihath in First Chronicles 6.36. And for another priest, uh, father of Josiah or Hen, different from Josiah the king in Zechariah 6.10 and 14. So again, um, uh, you have these men with the same name. Now, Sephaniah affirms he was uh, a prophet of God. Right here again, as we noted this morning, the opening verse the word of the Lord came to him, so it's very clear that God is speaking to him under his direct guidance. Uh, God reveals to him the things that there's no way he would understand or know. Uh, he's not making them up. Uh, the term, thus saith the Lord, again, you see it in, uh, in chapter 1, uh, verse 3, uh, in verse 10. Uh, you find it in chapter 2, verse 9, and 3, 8, and then in three twenty. Thus saith the Lord, we find phrases like this, the Lord said to me, the Lord told me, pick up and write, the Lord said, eat the book, many phrases like that, that is clearly stating that God is the one who is making known the revelation, um, whether it be in judgment, whether it be in doctrine, whatever it may be, the context would tell us that. Um, the prophecy of Zephaniah includes the destruction of Nineveh that is mentioned in chapter 2, verse 13, and it's mentioned Still in the future. So that means that when we studied Habakkuk and we saw the destruction in 6.12, um, that really Habakkuk really is after Zephaniah spoke before because it had not yet happened. So we can put that that way with certainty because of the proclamation. Um, The prophecy is said to be in the last days of Josiah here of the prophet. And he is King Josiah that um, we have a record throughout the Old Testament. Um, And again, the uh, evil that carried over into Josiah was from Manasseh because of all the idolatry and the paganism and the destruction. Now, Zephaniah was from Judah. He uh, Hmm. addressed Judah and Jerusalem, as we see here in chapter 1, verse 4. And he addresses the princess in verse 8 of chapter 1. And then he addresses the district of Jerusalem in one eleven, and he says God will search out Jerusalem with a lamp in one twelve. In other words, no one's going to escape um, the judgment that's coming. He addresses the priests, the judges, the prophets, and the um, and, and their sins in chapter three, verse three through four. And so, as you look through these three chapters, all the evidence is in there. Every book of the Bible is like a crime scene. You must court it off and look for the evidence within that book. Nowhere else. Only do you go to another book if there is another reference to this prophet or to this period that can supplement. But all the evidence is there. That's why it's called inductive Bible study. You don't just read something and then make a subjective thought or opinion or interpretation. But you seek it out by looking at the context, the historical background, the grammar in terms of whether it's Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek. And cross-reference it if there is a legitimate passage or another prophet that has made mention of it. And so that evidence, we can depend on everything else is sheer speculation. And so it's important to do it that way. Um, he addresses also the, um, um, the judges, the prophets, uh, as we said, and he has um, told us that he was a prince of Judah, the prophecies during the reign of um, of Josiah so 638 to 608 approximately we, we believe that word false again um, just around the corner is the captivity coming through the hands of Babylon and Sephaniah had three contemporary prophets he has Jeremiah Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 2 will cor- correlate that and uh, you have Nahum the prophet also uh, in the same period of time a little bit before and then Habakkuk the prophet and so, and we can't forget Ezekiel, except Ezekiel's in Babylon uh, at the same time. And Ezekiel and, and uh, Jeremiah are sending messages back and forth. And during this whole thing that's going on, if you remember Jeremiah and Ezekiel. So this was um, the prophet Zephaniah. Now, the times of Sephaniah is spiritual apostasy. This is what marked the nation. In fact, there's a whole section where he calls the nations to accountability and God will judge them. And we understand this from even the New Testament, that that's exactly what Jesus will do when he returns. The first thing he does is judge the nations in Matthew 25. And so King Manasseh, as I said, was 12 years old when he began to reign. And, and, and reign um, for 55 years, from 697 to 642 B.C., and Ammon, from 642 to 640 B.C., so both had led uh, as well as polluted the city of Jerusalem and the people with gross immorality and idolatry accompanied with abominable practices. Second um, Kings chapter 21, 22, and 23 will give you a good uh, chunk of, uh, of Scripture that will let you see what was going on. There was social injustice, moral corruption, Oppressing of the poor, the syncretism. Uh, Manasseh practiced human sacrifices to Moloch, offering his own children. As I said, called Milcom, and we saw that this morning. The god of the Ammonites. You find this in Second Kings twenty-one ten. And Manasseh was taken by uh, Assyria uh, to Babylon, and he repented, as I said, in Second Chronicles thirty-three eleven through thirteen. An amazing story. An incredible um, credit and glory to our God who, when he looks at a man or a woman, regardless of what has taken place, if they truly are repentant, he will forgive. He will make them new. He will give them hope. Now, at the same time, you've got the flip side. You've got the people that may not forgive. You've got the people that may not believe. You've got the people that may may make their lives just miserable. All right? So we've got to go with the revelation of God. That when a person truly repents, regardless of what I believe about them or not, if they have repented, God forgives them. And God is for them. So we have that tension constantly from the human side and from the divine side. Gross idolatry. Um... Just corruption, pollution, complacency he speaks about in chapter 1, verse 12. Like settling on leaves of the wine that you pour from one vessel to the other and that you clear out the dredge. Just a complacency. Ah, oh, we're okay. Things are going right. No. Hey, God's always taking care of us. Nothing's going to happen. Yeah, I know they're talking about judgment, but I mean, come on. Let's get serious. The temple's still here. You know, we've got the walls around us. All this false assurance that so often men and women have. When they don't give heed to the warnings of God about their lifestyle and what he is doing in the world. King Josiah began his reign when he was eight years old. And when he was 18, he commanded the temple to be restored and cleansed. And they found the book by the priest Hilkiah in 2 Kings 22 and 23. You also have the cross-reference that in 2 Chronicles 34 and 35 and uh and and they you know uh, he brought it to the king and um josiah was just excited but again first he grieved he tore his clothes because he realized they had disobeyed god and so he commanded to go seek the lord and they went to Huldah the prophetess and she confirmed that god had been um grieved and sinned against but Because he had humbled himself, God would pardon him and not bring the judgment in his lifetime. But he would still judge the nation because the nation had gone a little too far. And that's always the case. Now, you can be forgiven for sin, but sometimes people's lifestyle is so far gone that though they may be forgiven for sin, there's still the consequences that may plague them or even destroy them. Let's take the extreme of a person that would kill somebody, murder them. And they go to jail. And they repent and call upon the Lord. And God forgives them. But they've already been sentenced. And they're going to be put to death. And though he is forgiven or she. Yet they will have to die. And so it's not in conflict. It's not contrary. And those are the things that happen many times in this lifetime. Now, Jeremiah the prophet spoke up against the superficiality of the religion, um, that reform that that he had. He proclaimed this hypocrisy and this insincerity. It was just uh, a religious formality that was going on. He went to the temple in chapter 7 of Jeremiah. God told him to go there. And you know, Jeremiah proclaimed, they threw him in jail, they put him in a dungeon, they accused him of treason and falling to the enemy, and um, um, they just weren't very nice to him, he suffered much. And um, just about 100 years before, again, the northern kingdom in the north in 722 had already gone in, and Judah had not learned from that. And one of the key things that the Bible is very clear about, it teaches us about the life of others that we might learn for our own life. And that's why we have the historical account of the scriptures. And uh, you yourself as a parent. You are hoping that your your children will learn from the lives of others. And you will instruct them. Not because you hate the others. But because you love your children. And so God is the same way. Um, Assyria was the power at the time. But Babylon was soon to rise. As it had received its uh, um, uh, emancipation or independence. Around 625 from um, from babylon and so it was going to be the chastening instrument of god as we saw in habakkuk chapter one and two now josiah um, remembered that he was a good king but he listened with a deaf ear; he didn't pay attention to the lord and in second chronicles 35 20 through 22 and in kings 23 28 through 30 um, he finished preparing all the temple and he did all that. And then Pharaoh Necho of Egypt came up to fight at Carchemish by the Euphrates. And he went out against him, 2 Chronicles 35, 20 tells us. Necho came up against Assyria, not Jerusalem. And he was sent a message from Necho that he meant no harm to him. And he warned him, not to meddle to his own herd to destroy himself in 2 Chronicles 35, 21. He didn't want to fight him. But he didn't pay heed, and he um, ignored the warning by the mouth of God, really, and um, he ended up dying in the valley of Megiddo. There, in Second Chronicles thirty-five twenty-two, he lost his life because even though he had done good things, he didn't pay heed to what was going on. And sometimes people meddle to their own hurt; um, they somehow um, get this. Um, the superior complex of that they're the Messiah or that they have all the answers and um, sometimes it just, it just costs them. So Josiah was lamented by all of Judah and Jerusalem and Jeremiah just wept, convulsed in, uh, as he was uh, um, grieved over the death of this great king that set that reform. But again, the reform was very superficial. Even as we look to our nation and we see all the things and the promises that go on through our politicians and people who are in authority and all that, and it's very superficial. They're just words. Um, It's very evident that um, there is no substance to the promises or the policies, but that our nation is just totally in an anarchical position. Not full-blown anarchy, but it's already started, and that there's no consequences to those and in fact, those who are more civil, those who are more law-abiding, are the ones who are in greater danger because the protection is for the evil and not so much for the good. And now there's a big drastic flip around that's going on in our nation. Now, the political world and the powers, again, have shifted. Assyria was the one, Babylon is coming. Under Nabopolassar, like I said in 625, they gained their independence, and the Scythians were um, the barbarians coming down from the north, and they joined with Babylon, and they um, would take um, part in the destruction, Herodotus tells us, uh, to be the instrument of God. Um, Again, I've mentioned often Colossians three eleven, where it says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male or female, bond or free, and it says Scythian or barbarian, and the Scythians were those uh, northern tribes, uh, nomadic, and they were just vicious, and they would decapitate their um, um, their enemies, and they would uh, boil their skulls and use them as drinking goblets. Okay, and uh, Paul mentions them that there's no difference if they have repented. So God can transform anybody. If you read any of the old saints of all. Newton and others. Incredible lives that God saved them from. And yet God used them tremendously. Now Nahum had prophesied about Nineveh as we said. And that destruction came in 612. Here again. Zephaniah um, uh, is going to mention. Um, in 2.13, but it's still um, stated in the future it hadn't taken place. Um, Babylon, after all of that, Carchemish and that, then they laid the three sieges that came to Jerusalem. And there was the 606, 596, and 586, the final one, in which... Um, Jerusalem was broken into. You might just read the book of Jeremiah at this point and they burned down the city, the walls, everything and took everybody captive. Now, Zephaniah focuses on the day of the Lord. And again, sometimes we focus more like the prophet Joel. He's usually attributed to the prophet of the day of the Lord. But um, the majority of the minor prophets all speak of the day of the Lord. Joel certainly speaks a little bit more. But Zephaniah also, the phrase appears to uh, uh, as a central theme, seven times. Here in chapter 1, verse 7, uh, verse 8, verse 10, 14, 18, then in 2 2, and then in 3 8. So he focuses much on the day of the Lord. And again, the day of the Lord is a period of history that is connected with the judgment coming short term. And long term for the tribulation and great tribulation as we saw this morning in our message. Um, The reason is that God's love is pure and jealous. Therefore, he cannot compromise with sin. These are his people. These are not Gentiles. These are not pagans. These are the people of God that are living like Gentiles, like pagans. So when you go from chapter 1 down to 2... Sometimes people divide it differently, but Judah is mentioned along with the nations he's going to judge because they're they're living just like those nations, like Gentiles. Amos has such a listing, and other minor prophets, and even Isaiah. And uh, Jeremiah has that, where God calls the nations to judgment. Um, Two times the fire of his jealousy is mentioned. In chapter 1, verse 18... And then in chapter 3, verse 8. He is in the midst and sees all things. Zephaniah 3, 5, 15, and 17. The day of the Lord will climax in the restoration of the remnant and the kingdom. The remnant is the remnant of Israel. Zephaniah 2, 3, and 7. 3, 12, and 13. So, Stephaniah takes us from the near-present judgment all the way to the end of the age of the kingdom of the Antichrist as God pours out his wrath upon this world, as we saw this morning. Um, the return of their captivity is also prophesied. After Babylon the 70 years in 2.7 and in 3.20. So you have a lot of very specific prophecies short term and long term. The prophet Zephaniah is um, very specific. In chapter 1 verse 7 the day is at hand and is the Lord's sacrifice. In 18, the day will be punishment to the leaders. One ten and eleven. The day will be a a sound of mourning and wailing. 112. The day will be a time of revealing all things. 114. The day is a bitter one where the mighty men shall cry out. 115. The day is a day of wrath, trouble, distress, devastation, darkness, gloom. Those are the words of the day of the Lord. 118. The day will allow no one to be delivered. Two three, the day will hide only the righteous. Two four through fifteen the day will be the judgment of the nations as I mentioned. 3:14 and 20 the day will culminate in the restoration of Israel and the prophet calls, Israel to repentance but they don't in 2 1 and 2 the day of the Lord will begin at the same time that the rapture takes place they happen simultaneously the rapture takes place the day of the Lord begins the church is removed the antichrist appears Russia attacks Israel Ezekiel 38 and 39 very, very clear. Now, it's interesting as you look at the news, all that's going on, the activity of Russia right now and Syria and uh, her dealings with Turkey and all that is happening right now. It's very, very interesting. Um, it will come as a thief in the night. It will remove the church by c- catching it away under the word harpazol, suddenly, violently, in First Thessalonians 4.17. And there's other passages uh, it will allow the Antichrist to appear, Revelation chapter 6, with false peace, with a bow, with no arrows. He conquers through diplomacy, as we said this morning. And it will allow Israel to make a one-week covenant with the Antichrist in Daniel 9.27 that is very clearly prophesied. In the middle of that week, he will break the covenant. He will declare himself God, enter the temple in Second Thessalonians 2, and declare himself God. And that's when the Jews will flee to the wilderness, Revelation chapter 12, in the city of Petra, Isaiah 16.1. And so, um, a lot of interesting stuff. Um, it will result in the worship of the Antichrist. The whole world will go after him. And we, as we look at all things and all the preparations that are being made right now, in terms of the one world uh, uh, unity, and we're breaking down every barrier, Every difference that has been traditionally set for effectiveness, they are making it gray, whether it be race, sexuality, whatever it is. And this is a dictate from the powers that be to control the masses and to have them submit to their agendas. And we're moving towards a one world government, a one world food reserve, a one world completely everything. And... uh, we saw the, the progression. If you've been with us for years, I gave you all the stuff about when Clinton was in office and all the deterioration of our military and all the different policies and everything else. And, and now we see the results of that through the eight years of Obama, and we see the continued progression, and we see the continued deterioration. And it's kind of like in Hitler's days, you know, the people just sat there and at first he started real good. But when all of a sudden they got to a place where it was a little too late, all of a sudden all the control was there. They could do nothing because they didn't pay heed. Those that did escaped. But now when we're talking about the Antichrist coming, there is no escape. The only escape is if you're a Christian. And the Lord will remove you from that great tribulation. And Jesus said, stop being afraid. If you believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house are many abiding places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. Where I am there, you may be also. And if I go, I will come back to receive you to myself. You must make the distinction between him coming back to receive us to himself and us coming back with him to set up the kingdom. The rapture, he receives us to himself. We go through the Bema of seed of Christ. We come back with him to set up the kingdom, the battle of Armageddon and the kingdom. First Thessalonians, he receives us to himself, the rapture. Second Thessalonians, we come back with him to set up the kingdom. Jesus sets up the kingdom. We do not. The world is not going to get better and better. Okay? The church is not Israel. That's replacement theology. It's anti-Semitic. And the majority of the church teaches it. God is going to deal with Israel once again. Romans 9, 10, and 11. A good chunk of Romans. Paul is very, very clear. The woman in Revelation 12 is pregnant. That's not the church. That would insult Jesus. She's a virgin. That woman is Israel who gave birth to Messiah. Who was caught up to heaven. Context, context, context. The only other woman in the book of Revelation is the mother of harlots, Rome. So which way you want it? <laughs> you can't confuse the ladies. One's a virgin, the other one's a divorced woman put away who's been married, and the other one's a harlot. <laughs> don't, don't make the church either the pregnant woman or the harlot. You're completely wrong. And so we need to keep our theology straight and study and examine what other peoples are teaching so that you can fit your prophetic calendar the way it's given to us. These were the um, times of Zephaniah. Pretty um, critical times. In the days that we are living, they're very critical times. I don't believe that um, the majority of the American public understands what dangerous time we're living in as a nation. $23, 24000000000000 trillion in debt. This president has racked up more debt than all of the past presidents put together. We can't even pay the interest. It's amazing to me. And yet, the world goes on, at least from our perspective, as if it's all going to be okay. It's going to work out. So, our hope should never be in a person or a nation or a government Though we thank God for governments that allow us to live peaceably and productively. But our hope is in Jesus Christ. The church has always suffered. The church has always been um, a foreigner in this world. For whatever reason, God has allowed us as Americans to live in a very peaceful environment. And um, for what reason, I don't know. But the majority of the church has always suffered for their faith. And they continue to suffer all around the world for their faith. I've never suffered for my faith at all. I've only read about sufferings. And so um, I don't um, try to deceive myself to say that we live in peace and in a good environment because we're more spiritual. No, not really. I think the more spiritual the ones who are suffering and still serving the Lord And give their lives up for the Lord. In fact, there was um, a young girl in the book *Jesus Freak* who um, the Chinese came in and they um, broke into a home church and they took the Bible and they asked them all to um, to deny Jesus and they asked them to spit on the Bible. And this one man came up and said, "Lord Jesus, forgive me." And he reluctantly spat on the Bible. They let him go and another woman came up and a difficult time and she just spat a little bit They let her go. And then this young girl came up and knelt down and grabbed the book, the Bible, and just wiped the spit with her dress. And said, Jesus, what have they done to your word? And they put a gun to her head and blew her brains out. This is our day's. This goes on continually. Christian massacre has been going on tremendously in Africa. During the Clinton era, ignored completely. The Sudan right now. Iran. The cultural revolution through Mao. Years passed. Now we're seeing Christian persecution here in the United States by bully laws and now by attempted legislation. And so as you study history, you see what goes on. You have to live in reality. Let me give you some information on the book. The date of the book of Zephaniah, he mentions Nineveh, yet again its future in 2.13. So we know that he spoke before 612, because that's when Nineveh was destroyed. He um, does not mention Josiah's spiritual reform, which happens around 621, um, when they found the book of the Pentateuch in the temple. Um, Why, we don't know. So we have to just kind of just um, pick a date somewhere in there because of the idolatry that he speaks about, but he doesn't mention it. Could he have been involved in it and not mentioned it? Sure, he could have, but we don't know. Uh, Josiah also um, turned the halt of the prophetess about the book. He's not mentioned. Um, why, we don't know. Those are just questions we don't have. Um, whether Zephaniah was an advisor uh, to Josiah or in some capacity, again, it's sheer speculation. We just have no evidence of that. But most scholars play Zephaniah's ministry around 630 to 621 B.C. Since... Um, The reign of Josiah was 638 to 608. Uh, He could have prophesied the whole time. We're just not sure, but we know that that fits in there. The natural division of the book of Zephaniah falls into three parts. The announcement of the great day of judgment you have in chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 2, verse 3. The call to repentance in view of judgment is in chapter 2, verse 4. Down to chapter 3, verse 8. And then you have the promise of restoration after judgment, Zephaniah 3, 9 through 20. There are other ways you can break it up. That's just the way I've broken it up. Uh, There's key verses, key words in the book of Zephaniah. Um, I'm only going to give you some. You look through it, see some other ones that you may find. The key phrases of the promise of judgment in chapter 1, verse 2. And the promise of refuge for the righteous is chapter two verse three. The promise of restoration in three twenty. The reason is because of his holiness and the promise of Messiah destroying the nations, and he would be in the midst of Israel in the kingdom age in three eight, fifteen and seventeen. Fourteen times in the book you find the phrase I will God speaking. I will judge. I will destroy. I will consume. I will search. I will. It is God's judgment. And key words: consume three times in chapter one, two, and three; cut off four times in 3, one, three, four, three, six, and seven. And complacency, a key word there in two twelve, that um, like like uh, I'm, I'm settling your leaves, like the wine that's poured from vessel to vessel. To every time. Uh, refine it and pour it and taking those uh, grounds and everything that if you leave them there, it makes the wine turn bitter. And you start tasting of the wine and people were complacent, settled in their leaves. Everything's okay. God hasn't judged us. And you know, they keep saying this, but it's going to be okay. Very, very dangerous. So this is the book of Sephaniah. Let me give you the message of Zephaniah. The judgment of the world in Judah, we kind of saw part of it this morning. It goes in chapter 1, verse 1, down to two, um, chapter 2, verse 3, as I said. The day of the Lord would be uh, all-consuming in the first 13 verses of the first chapter. It is a worldwide judgment that comes first. He, he looks afar, then he comes in clothes, then he goes out far again, as we'll see. Um, it was revealed to Zephaniah. In the days of Josiah, verse 1 says, it's a universal judgment speaking of the ultimate fulfillment there in verse 2 and 3. Um, It's a total, I will cut off man from the face of the land in verse 2, man and beast in verse 3. And it is due to the fact that Judah and Jerusalem had defiled and also polluted themselves in chapter 1, verse 4 and 6. God always deals with individuals and with nations. God judges nations. And as I look to our nation, I can't help but to believe that God is judging our nation. Um, if, if, If I had to pull one thing alone that he can judge us for, it's 57 million babies that we've killed. Mothers have done that to their children. The enemy hasn't done that. One of the sins that we spoke about this morning, and we'll go through it, is they offered their children to Molech on their burning arms. The god of Molech was a fertility god. And, of course, when you have fertility god, you've got unwanted pregnancies. When you have unwanted pregnancies, you kill children. We have fertility religion in our own country. We have people who don't believe there's anything wrong with fornication or adultery. You have a lot of unwanted babies, so how do you handle them? You kill them. No different than in those days. It's still the same. And so, with worshiping, nature also in chapter 1, verse 5, the zodiac. They worship there uh, as a source of direction and guidance and protection. They would be judged by God. I will appear six times in verse 2 down to 4, chapter 1. It was addressed to those who had turned from God too. As we noted in verse 6 this morning of chapter 1. Ezekiel 14.4 says that God would answer the elders that came to him according to their idols. Because there's people that come to church to hear the word of God and they like hearing it. But they're also meddling with other things. And they still have the nerve to come and come before the Lord. And God says, I will answer you according to your idols. I will turn you over to your deception. Very, very clear. Then he addresses those who are turning from God there in verse 6. And then it will be a day of being speechless in chapter 7 to 13. Be quiet. The holiness, the awesomeness of God's judgment. It will call for all to be silent in the presence of the Lord due to their unknown... uh, uh, understanding of the holiness of God, they had lost the fear of God and the understanding of God's holiness. And I think that's what the church has lost today. Um, the fear of God. The day is imminent, tells us in chapter 1, verse 7, the day will be God's sacrifice uh, for his guest. He says there also, again, we went to the book of Revelation and we showed you some things this morning. The day will judge the leaders, embracing the pagan influence and the foreign Uh, customs of the day in verse 8 and 9 of chapter 1 those who leap over the threshold that is stated there is to provoke the God to guarantee the um, the the robbery of that home so it's used in different ways in 1st Samuel 5, 5 and in here now in chapter 1 10 through 13 the day of the Lord would bring sorrow and wailing all throughout the city from the fish gate The second quarter of the city, verse 10 says, all through the market district, verse 11. uh, Maktash refers to the market district around the Cheesemaker Valley. Some of you were with us in Jerusalem, right there in uh, in Robinson's Arch. Right there by the temple where the bridge went over. Right there's the Cheesemaker Valley. And you have a pile of rocks. You have a picture as you go up to the cafeteria. Up there, the very stones that were cast over by the Romans. That's the picture. And that's where they're on the Cheesemaker Valley. If you go straight up, it'll go right along the Wailing Wall on the outside. Um, All will be unhidden and punished in Jerusalem. Men who were complacent, again, settling their lease in chapter 1, verse 12. Um, Jeremiah picks this up in chapter 48, verse 11. Remember, he's a contemporary. And um, all they have gained will not be enjoyed by them, chapter 1, verse 13. You know, it is amazing to me how people sometimes work so hard to obtain what they, they have, and they throw it all away because of stupid decisions or because of Being in bondage to some form of pleasure and everything. And they just cast it all away. It's amazing what people do. Chapter 1, 14 through 18. The day of the Lord and its nature is given. Verse 14. The day of impending judgment. Verse 15. The day of wrath, trouble, distress, devastation, desolation, darkness, gloom. The day of war against the fortified city. Verse 16. This is God fighting against them. All the objectives are negative and found throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Book of Amos, Joel, Obadiah, Malachi, Acts, Thessalonians, 2 Peter, Revelation, all of them about the day of the Lord. All will walk in as blind men because of their sin against the Lord, it tells us in chapter 1, verse 17. And all the money will not deliver them in that day of the wrath against God's speed and holy jealousy in chapter 1 verse 18 now in chapter 2 verse 1 through 3 the day of the Lord and repentance for Israel is given there the uh, invitation um, to the undesirable or the shameless nation meaning Israel the city of Jerusalem they had no shame they had no repentance God is calling them but they just What do I need to repent about? What have I done wrong? The urgency is marked by the limited time in chapter 2, verse 2. The word before, it repeated three times in verse 2. The benefit in chapter 2, verse 3, to the righteous who seek God, hidden from His wrath, some in Babylon, into captivity. Others were left in the land and still others were preserved in and through captivity. Then it goes all the way to the Great Tribulation, the long-term fulfillment, um, certainly of uh, Israel, as we mentioned, in Selah, Petra, Isaiah 16:1, Revelation 12. You and I are hidden in Christ Jesus, Colossians 3, 3 says. Uh, we are the bride of Christ Now, in chapter 2, verse 4, down to 3a, you have the judgment of the nations. Um, God will deal with the nations. Somehow, people are just running around doing what they want and whatever they want. And they somehow think that God does not exist. And they will never have to give an account to God. It is going to be a shocker. The Philistine cities are given in chapter 2, 4 through 7. The major cities are named. In verse 4, the Cherethites were related to the Philistines. They migrated from Crete to five. Um, and the coast would be given over to the remnant of Israel after the captivity, it says, in 2, 8 through 7. Uh, 7 through 8. And then the city of Moab and Ammon, okay, in 2, 8 through 11. Now remember that these were uh, descendants of Lot through his daughters in Genesis 19 after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. In verse, um, the Lord had Heard the arrogant threats against his people um, and the Lord of hosts promised their extinction as Sodom and Gomorrah in chapter one verse 9. And the Lord said it was because of their pride and arrogance against his people in chapter one verse 10 and 11. And so again he just lays it all out. The Ethiopians are mentioned in 2:12, they will be slain by God's sword. The nation of Assyria in 13 through 15 of chapter 2, the capital city of Nineveh, would be destroyed. Again, we mentioned six twelve; 12 um, It's still future in two thirteen. 13 The city will be, uh, uh, cannot expect it, and will not expect it. it it'll be a, a shock to them because of the arrogance and of the self-confidence so often people have in nations. And the city, contrary to her boastful pride, shall be Hissed that in chapter 2, verse 15, those that walked by after his destruction, kind of like a, a mocking, yeah, they thought they were so bad. It was kind of a hissing thing of making, uh, poking fun of them and, and just ridiculing them. Babylon would be the same, Isaiah 47, 8 and 9 tells us, because God would judge Babylon afterwards. The last days Babylon, chapter seventeen and eighteen, Revelation. Commercial and religious Babylon. The city of Jerusalem. Then, chapter three, one through eight, is is confronted and dealt with. The city is ranked with the nations of the world due to the fact that she was uh, living like them. Very important here. Okay, she was rebellious. She was polluted. She was oppressive. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, Jesus said in Matthew 24. The judgment of the nations in Matthew 25 deals with how the nations treated the Jew during the Great Tribulation. Study the context. Lord, when did we visit you in prison? When would you give you a cup of cold water? When you did it to the least of my brethren. The Jew, Matthew's gospel, you did it unto me. The context of Matthew 24 is how the nations have treated the Jew. God will judge the nations as to whether they enter the kingdom age or not. Very, very clear. 3 2, the city's sins were an affront to God, they didn't obey his voice, didn't receive correction. They didn't trust in the Lord. They didn't draw near to their God. Verse 3 and 4. The leaders of the city were corrupt. The princes were abusive as lions. The judges were vicious as wolves. The prophets had no integrity. The priests were profaning the sanctuary and violating the law. Sounds like today. 5 through 8. Their Lord God is altogether different. In three, five, the Lord is righteous and delays not in His judgments. He will be in her midst, and He contrasted to the unrighteous who have no shame. In six and seven, the Lord their God had destroyed nation in hope that Israel would learn to fear Him. But didn't. Instead, they were eager to rise and corrupt themselves. They had seen the northern kingdom as God had destroyed them. They didn't learn from their sister. They had seen what God did to the nations that occupied the land before he gave it to them. And he told them, when you go in, the land is vomiting out the inhabitants. It can't support it. And if you do the same, the land will vomit you out. Amos addressed this issue also, ending up with no other alternative but judgment in chapter 4 of Amos 6.13, if you remember. In verse 8 of chapter 3, their Lord God tells them to wait for him until he judges the nations. This is the judgment at the second coming that I've mentioned in Matthew 25. When you come to verse 9, down to 20 of chapter 3, You have the restoration of Israel. God will gather all people into the millennial kingdom. Verse 9 through 13. The kingdom will involve all the peoples of the nations. It is in the plural. Not everybody, but it will be a plurality. In verse 9, the kingdom will be known for purity of lips, literally. The language refers to holiness apart from profanity, not so much as one common language. And we'll see that when we get to it. In verse 9 also, the kingdom will be characterized by calling on the name of the Lord to serve him. In verse 10, the kingdom will center on the covenant people, Israel. The kingdom is for Israel. All the promises God gave to them in the Old Testament, all the land has never been fulfilled. The Gentiles will serve the Jew. We, the church, will be reigning with Jesus. The tribulation saints that accept the Lord and die, they serve the Lord. So there's a distinction between the church that is raptured and those that come to Christ during the tribulation period. The kingdom in verse 11 through 13 will be the time of removing Israel's sin. She will walk in humility and righteousness. When you get to verse 14 down to 20, God will be the center of attention in the restored kingdom. Israel in verse 14 and 15 will sing and shout for the restoration and the presence of their Messiah. Jesus Christ. The prophets tell us that they will look in that day. They will see the one they pierced. Realizing that they crucified their Messiah. Verse 16 through 17. Jerusalem will not fear and trust in the Lord Jesus for strength, comfort, and approval. 18 to 20. God's people will no longer experience affliction any longer but be admired. Of all nations, wow, what a change. Right now, Israel is like a troublesome stone to the whole world. <laughs> Anti-Semitism is probably at the same level as it was just before World War II. Certainly in Europe, and it is growing in the United States. And the greatest place of anti-Semitism is the universities and anti-Christianity. The greatest persecution in America is not against the black It is against the Jew. Do your study. Okay? There's all propaganda. That's all that goes on. There will be no peace in this world until Jesus returns. There will be no peace in Jerusalem until Jesus returns. But it is the city of God. 776 times. The name of Jerusalem is mentioned from Genesis to Revelation. It is God's city. He looks over it. He protects it. It is his capital. And he will rule and reign from Jerusalem. Wow. Can't wait. And so, here you have Zephaniah's message. Pretty thorough, only three chapters. But man, it is loaded. <laughs> Completely loaded. So, you have the prophet Zephaniah, the times of Zephaniah, the book of Sephaniah, and the message of Zephaniah. Gives you a good perspective of where he's coming from as we move through it on Sunday morning at in depth Studies. And then we'll go verse by verse through it at night and we'll tie it all together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, your love, your goodness. We thank you for just your word, Lord, that we're able to depend upon it. We're able to go to it. And we're able to draw your knowledge, Lord. Your absolute truth. Though when we read it, we may not understand it completely. We know that it will come to pass. though we may not see how it's possible... For you, there is nothing difficult. Lord, you are the Lord, the God of all flesh, and you tell the things before they happen because you can see them. And yet, Lord, in seeing them and in knowing them, you never violate anybody's will. You never force man to do evil, but you hold them responsible for the evil that they do themselves. And so, Lord, knowing this and knowing your grace in our life, how you have forgiven us and transformed us, we thank you, Lord. And we pray that you would continue to work in us here at Calvary Chapel Pasadena as we grow in your knowledge, as we serve you, as we allow your word to transform us from day to day. Lord, we cry out for our nation. We cry out for your mercy. And the Lord, you would just allow us to be a light to many that are so lost and that you would just deal with each of us, Lord, and you would continue that good work that you've begun, Lord, even as the years move on, Lord. We used to be young, Lord, and now we're getting up there. And yet you're so faithful in everything. Cause us to walk with you, to abide in you, and to rejoice knowing that we will bear much fruit even in our old age. Lord, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.